Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, friends. Welcome to the last episode of the Mosaic Life podcast of 2021. My name is Trey Kaufman, and it's been my goal to tease out the traits and habits that entrepreneurs, authors, leaders, and everyday people use to live their very best lives. If you've gotten a value out of the Mosaic Life podcast in 2021, I would be incredibly grateful if you leave the podcast a five-star review on Spotify. It's easy to do right within the app on your phone. Sometimes I start brainstorming these introductions days or weeks ahead of time when I lay out my calendar of episode releases and knowing who would be helping bring the year to a close It was natural for me to look back at not just the last year, but the last several, and appreciate my personal growth in the context of our friendship. I've known Eric for as long as I've been an entrepreneur, and even longer than that really, and from the time we met, I appreciated how he carried himself, not just as a business owner, but as a leader. And even though I didn't have the language for it back then, I fell in love with the way he was designing his life. As we move into 2022, while the theme of happiness will never not be a part of the podcast, the way in which that word rings in my ears has continued evolving, and I can't help but feel compelled to tug at the lifestyle design thread moving forward. For those who may be hearing that phrase for the first time, it's as simple as it sounds and feels. You have the power to design the life you want to live. I have a number of great conversations coming up in 2022 that will tap into this idea, and this conversation with Eric was the perfect way to transition us into the new year. Eric Ryan grew up in rural central Ohio, just northeast of Columbus, and is currently living in an area not dissimilar from his childhood. He joined the United States Air Force in 1990 and continues serving to this day. Eric began a career in the insurance world in 1998 and still owns his own independent agency, Buckeye Benefit Consulting. In 2020, he purchased a parking lot striping franchise, which expanded to a second location in 2021. He's also a voiceover artist and works as a live musician from time to time. Please welcome my good friend, Mr. Eric Ryan. Eric, dude, how's it going, man? Outstanding. How you doing, Trey? I'm good, man. I, um... I appreciate you doing this. This is, a, this is a little bit different for me, and I, I'll be completely honest and vulnerable. You know, we've known each other for so long. I don't, I, I don't even know now, five, six, seven years maybe. And so I was a little bit hesitant to do this because I, I think there's always that potential that you're going to see a different side of me in this conversation versus what you see, you know, in the business side of things, or the networking side of things. And that's just it's a little bit uncomfortable for me. So I'm, I'm glad that we're able to do this, and I'm, I'm glad that we're able to just have a, a candid conversation because I know we don't always get to get the chance to do that. Oh, that's for sure, man. Um, and I got to say, I, I probably feel very similar to, uh, to the, <clears throat> I don't know, the hesitation and uh, all that that you expressed as well. Just in that I may have gotten off track here or I do get off track every once in a while in my life. And, and you find that uh, sarcasm and bitterness <laughs> and all the other things start to take over uh, then you remind yourself, oh yeah, dumb dumb, uh, you know better than this. Uh, you've just got to be, you got to be above it all, yeah, uh, to a degree, and and resist the urge to 
poke fun at everything around you. And that's really tough for me because, you know, I was raised by heathens and nah, I'm just kidding, but, well, it's, but really it's, it wasn't their fault. It's completely mine. <laughs> it's funny you say that because I mean, I, and I, I mean, no disrespect by this, but I mean, that, that is part of your brand. I mean, you, you, you are, you're a funny guy and you have the ability to crack jokes and sometimes make uncomfortable jokes, but still make people laugh in group settings, which is something I'm so, that's so far out of my comfort zone. I, I mean, I, I do respect you for it. And I, you know, we come into a unique situation here because I met you in the context that you were the president of a networking group that we go to. Um, I've had Frank Egan on the podcast before he runs Amp Spirit and uh, you are getting ready to step back into that role. And I, I do have a lot of fond memories from the time in which you were the president there. So it's just, it's a it's this big circle that it's just kind of interesting to see how much has changed over that that period of time there. Well, I've been reminding myself too, and I will continue to do so right up until the first day uh, that we get together when I'm president. You know, reminding myself that you know all the the jokes and all that stuff those can be cute for a while, but at some point you wear people out on them, and you got to snap it back together and be the professional that you are. Sure, uh, and just move forward like that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I absolutely get that. Um, so, you know, in the context of this conversation, this is actually going to be a very quick turnaround. We we are we are speaking on the twenty seventh of uh, December. It's coming out on the twenty eighth, and so this will be the last episode of twenty twenty one. You know, this is the time of year where I like to kind of reflect back on you know, what I've accomplished over the last year and see where I want to pivot. I, I absolutely freaking hate resolutions. I, I think they're a waste of time. And so I just want to see, you know, what can I continue to improve upon in the next year? And I'm, I don't know, I'm curious, you know, what your thoughts are moving into a new year. If, you know, it's just one day going into the other, it doesn't matter what year it is, or if you kind of set some goals or standards for yourself um, as you look uh, toward the, the future. Well, as a, as a younger person, I definitely looked to every holiday, birthday, new year, et cetera, as a remarkable event. Yeah. I guess maybe because the people around me did it and you don't know what else to do. So, you, you know, as humans, you just mimic the things around you. Yeah. Uh, and at 49 years old, I will tell you, one day is not that much more spectacular or special to me than the next. Right you really do have to live every single day for what it is. And I don't feel a bit ashamed if I have that chance to be alone and I just put my phone on silent and turn it upside yes. down and binge watch something for a few hours or whatever it is, because I get so little time to just enjoy me, you know, or just enjoy the peace and quiet uh, that I will unabashedly take advantage of those kind of things. So I don't really worry so much about the new year, although I will say that every once in a while, if you need to say, all right, as of this day, I'm going to change this in my life. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, I was a smoker for many, many years. I forgot about and that. Yeah. One of my goals was to quit smoking by the time I was 40. I did not make that. Uh, I, I was 41 and, you know, a few weeks. Uh, but I remember my very last cigarette was about two days before my second marathon. And, uh, yeah, uh, second and last marathon to date. I've done a few How'd halves that feel? since, uh, to quit or the marathon or what are we talking about? The, the, well, I guess both, but the, I guess specifically, how did it feel to run a marathon having smoked your last cigarette two days prior? Well, it's felt a lot like the one that I had done the year before, 
You know, yeah. it was my, my two marathons that I've ever run in my life were uh, exactly a year apart. It was the Air Force Marathon in September and – or it's every September, I should say. It, the first marathon was, I don't know, five hours or something like that. And I beat that time by 20 some minutes the second year, which was my goal just to beat that. You know, I remember, yeah. I remember yeah. fooling myself and thinking, oh man, I'd love to qualify for Boston. Well, to qualify for Boston, you have to run the Air Force Marathon in three hours, 45 minutes or better. Right. Uh, and there's just no right. way that's going to happen with, uh, with, you know, the way I'm built, my habits, whatever. Uh, some people really take marathon training seriously and they cut out absolutely everything. I was one of those guys that said, eh, I put in my 18 miles today. I'm going to have a couple of beers if I need to, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So yeah, I, I did drop a considerable amount of weight. I was feeling way better. My rest and heart rate was under 60. Uh, That's it great. was just a, a great, great experience. I'm glad I did it, but I kind of think that I might've hurt myself a little bit permanently <laughs> doing those couple of marathons. So yeah, a half or less is probably it for me from now on. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm well, I, I go back and forth. I, I've always told myself I don't want to run a full. Then I went out and watched the Columbus um, this past October. I'm like, yeah, oh, I want to do it next year. I'm like, oh, it's, I don't. It's it's so it's such a commitment to to get yourself, I guess, in the right physical and mental state uh, leading up to it. So I don't know, man. I you have a ton of respect for me to have, for having done two. That's incredible. Uh, Simon Pegg did a movie a while back where he, uh, he ran a marathon as a guy who didn't take very good care of himself. And, uh, it, it was, I mean, it was silly. Of course it was Simon Pegg. Right. Uh, but at the same time, uh, there were a lot of things that hit home. Uh, not the least of which was the wall. There's a point where everything about you is telling you just quit, man. This yes. just, there's no yeah. shame in it or whatever, but there is, I mean, let's face it. You didn't set yeah. out that day to not run a marathon. So, uh, you know, the stubbornness alone pushed me through those last five or six miles. And, uh, and that was both years. And really the, yeah. the second year it was that I had my sights set on beating what I did the previous. So that really kept me motivated for the first 18 miles or so, you know, to, to, you got to run farther than you did before. And, and you don't finish in five hours yeah. without walking a little bit <laughs> or a lot, right. you know, several of those miles. I don't remember exactly how long I ran before I started walking the first or second time anymore. I, I know that those numbers were in my head for a long time, but, but I do remember that at some point, even just walking, your entire body is drained. You're in pain. Oh, yeah. I didn't understand fully how to hydrate and uh, put back nutrients and all that while I was uh, in the right. middle of a race, let alone leading up to it. So yeah, you, know, you really, really do want to quit at some point. And I think that yeah. is the biggest thing, you know, as a, as a grown man, I can count on one hand, the number of times I've cried and that's been mostly to do with uh, death of animals. <laughs> and, uh, and I, I was kind of whimpering a little bit just at the thought of, I'm actually going to finish this thing. I mean, both years, yeah, it really man. hit me hard because that's, uh, it's just one of those bucket list type things that you think, all right, well, no matter what, happens in the rest of my life, I've done a marathon or now I've done two marathons Absolutely. or whatever. And it's cool, yes. man. I mean, the similar emotions to the, the first time that I went skydiving and, uh, you know, climbed a mountain, you made it to the top and you're just out there enjoying the view. You know, the, the first time you do a lot of things, you realize these are landmarks for yourself. And to yes. circle back to your original question, it doesn't matter if it's 
January 1st or if it's your birthday or whatever it is, just do something remarkable today. Yeah. God, I love that because I mean, pushing through that preconceived notion of, of whatever limit you think you have on yourself, it's, it's, it's so powerful uh, because it just, it builds that muscle moving forward. Uh, you know, this, this morning I, I, you know, I spent the last four or five days with family, not doing anything for the benefit of my body. And I, I could have just as easily slept in and, you know, hung out a bit before of a conversation, but I went outside, I worked out. And even though I didn't feel like it, I've trained myself to make sure that it's automatic. And if, if you're getting pushed up against a wall, you have, you have that choice. Nobody is going to blame you for walking off the side of the course and just heading back to the finish line or hopping an Uber and getting back to your car. Nobody is going to blame you except for yourself. And when you are able to have a little bit of foresight and realize what it's going to feel like knowing that you quit and refusing to let yourself get to that point, it's just, it, it's such an incredible practice. And I, it sounds like, I mean, that's something that you do often. I mean, you have to be stubborn with yourself every time you're doing yeah. something you don't want to do, which is you're going to encounter that almost every day if you're doing it right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you'd said something a little bit earlier about the, about cherishing being alone and that, you know, I, I, for a, a little bit of additional context, yes, you know, we, we do a lot of networking together, but you, I mean, you also run your own networking organizations and you've, you've been doing that for as long as I can remember. So you very much value relationships, especially when it comes to business. And, you know, I, I think there's a ton of value in maintaining strong relationships with, you know, friends, colleagues, family, all of that. But I've, I've really started to realize recently that it's, it's, there's no, it's not important for me to have, it's not going to be a value to me to have relationships with others if I don't have a strong relationship with myself. And so, you know, taking that time to really nurture that has been tremendously important for me. Um, I mean, is that because I know that you are so much more outgoing than I am? I mean, how much time do you focus inward on yourself to make sure that you're in a place to actually show up for other people? Not enough is the short answer. Um, but you know, you, you got to constantly remind yourself to do those things and all the networking is something that I've look, I mean, let's face it. It's really, really easy to intend to do things and then to not follow through with them. Yeah. Right. I I can't tell you how many times that I've had the opportunity, you know, maybe, uh, I've got an evening to myself. I've got a week to myself. I've got a couple of days, a weekend, whatever to myself. I mean, a hundred percent, whatever I want to do, up to me. Yeah. And I think, man, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to go check out this band because I never get to be a spectator. I'm always the guy on stage or whatever. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to have a beer with a buddy, do whatever I want to do. Right. And I end up just hanging out at the house, finding things to get into, you know, fixing my tractor or whatever (laughs) it is. And I don't get around to those things. I intend to do them, but because I have this, uh, I have this ridiculous number of choices. You almost get this. Uh, we, we have something in America. Uh, oh my gosh. What is it referred to as? It's something paralyzation, uh, decision, paralysis, uh, de- decision paralysis. Yes. Uh, we yeah, have so yeah. many options that we just don't end up doing anything because we could do whatever the hell yeah. we want. <laughs> so uh, you have to really focus. And by being a leader 
of these groups or by being in the leadership part of these groups, uh, whether it's being president of GetDot or serving on the board of the USO, uh, starting Arch City engagements when GetDot dissolved, uh, whatever it might be, by being in a leadership role, you force yourself to take part in these activities. So it's way too easy for me to just intend to go and then not make the event if I'm not in a leadership role. So that's me forcing myself to be there. Yeah, I, I I respect that. I mean, as I've, I've, as I've said a number of times, I, I, I I don't know, I, I have fond memories of getting involved in the organization and, and Amp Spirit specifically and, you know, seeing you in that leadership role and you taking me aside and, you know, helping me get acclimated into networking because I didn't have an understanding of what it was prior to Amp Spirit and just really seeing you as an entrepreneur and a leader flex, I guess, flex your muscles and, you know, what you can really do to design a life that, uh, that, that you want to live. I don't, I, you know, I have one specific memory a handful of years ago, I was still uh, working at my last uh, full-time job and it was was probably, I would imagine sometime in March, we were at our meeting and after the meeting, everybody just, or not everybody, a good group of people just stuck around to watch March Madness. And I remember thinking to myself, this is so cool. I wish I had the freedom to actually, you know, take the day to myself and, you know, watch basketball, even though I don't particularly care for basketball, but just hang out with a group of really cool people. And I don't know, it was that, I don't know if that was an inflection moment for me or if that was just a a realization that there are things that I want to do in my life that are a little bit different. So the long story short is I've always respected your ability to see exactly, perhaps not exactly, but see what it is you want to go after and then actually go after it. I mean, you, you've been, you've owned your own business for how many years now? I think 2008 was when I finally started one that, that stuck. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, what has it... Because I, I know you've had you've had kind of a um, a varied background when it comes to uh, s- some of your roles, right? I mean, talk to me a little bit about the start of your career and how you got to a place where you you've been running Buckeye Benefit Consulting. Because I mean that I you know any entrepreneur will know it's not a straightforward path. It's something that you have to <laughs> zigzag into. Well, as with a lot of things in life, or a lot of people that are in my position. Uh, I got where I am now by a series of mistakes and gaffes and yes, uh, yeah. <laughs> my goodness, man. I look back on my life and think you couldn't have screwed that up any worse. And I think that about a lot of little key points in my life, but where that leads you is entirely up to you as well. Right. Yeah. So you can, you can be successful, but nobody learns anything by not making mistakes. Right. You know, nobody learns anything by everything going correctly all the time. Right. And a lot of times, you know, you look, the first couple of businesses I started didn't work out, but that doesn't mean that they weren't successful. Right. You know, I, I started a, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I didn't want to limit myself as one of those guys uh, in my early twenties, fresh out of the military, which by the way, if you ask most veterans and as a 49 year old who's currently serving in the air force reserve, and I've run into a lot of veterans, uh, talk to a lot of guys that show up from, uh, the VFW and American Legion and other veteran service organizations that, uh, do military honors where I'm doing military honors. I talk to these people a lot. So I run, I, I've 
I, I'm in a position to talk to a heck of a lot of veterans. Yeah. The point about this is if you ask most veterans who didn't make it to the point of retiring, that was the single biggest mistake of their life was getting out of the military prior to retirement eligibility. Yeah. So you do four years, you do 10 years, you do 12 years, whatever it is. If you don't get to 20, you're not retirement eligible and you don't get that paid for healthcare the rest of your life. You don't get that retiring on half pay, that guaranteed income, and then go out and start a new life as a 38 or 40 year old young person, right? right? That's the single biggest mistake. And I did that exact same thing at the age of 21. I was faced with that decision. I, my four years was coming up. I got out, almost immediately turned back around and metaphorically was pounding on the gate going, hey, I made a mistake. Let me back in. And they were like, "Nah, we're not taking uh, prior service people like you. Uh, so uh, then it was up to me to make it on my own as a civilian. And I had no idea how to do that. I was under a lot of illusions at the time as to how that was going to happen. And most of those things didn't work out. I didn't go to college right away and take advantage of the GI bill that I had bought and paid for. Yeah. I didn't do a lot of the right things. I, you know, I was in a position where I was barely making any money working all the time, but you're working for minimum wage or barely over it. And that was a whopping five, 15 an hour at the time. Right. So everything about where I am today started with one screw up after another. <laughs> So the, the first business I launched was, uh, and by the way, when I moved out to the country, I realized that, uh, I have forgotten so many things that I knew how to do. I was like, I was really amazing myself by, uh, the things that I remembered that I could do. Now electrical is my weak point, but I can right. still wire up something directly from a, a junction box all the way, you know, I run it through the, through the building and to the other side of the building and, and uh, right. wire up all these outlets and switches and everything. I, I forgot that I knew how to do this stuff. This was all things that I was taught as a very, very young man uh, in the military. So it, the the first business I started, I was doing everything from uh, laying tile in people's kitchens to uh, installing heaters in garages, you know, commercial garages, that sort of thing, the gas heaters that hang up uh, on their ceilings. And I was doing that kind of stuff. And and that actually worked out pretty well. I, I did okay with that. Yeah. Uh, but then it came a point where you needed benefits and you needed to be able to take care of a family. So I went out and got, you know, a quote unquote real job and uh, got into the insurance business in 1998. And uh, that worked out pretty well. Uh, took a job in Cleveland in 2001. And from there, uh, I think we got downsized. The, the last three of us hired were the first three out the door. <laughs> got downsized less than a year and a half into my tenure in Cleveland. So I, I thought, you know what, this is a great time for me to go venture out on my own and be that insurance agent I wanted to be. Yeah. And, uh, I was terrible at it. I didn't take it seriously. <laughs> uh, you know, I'd, I'd maybe get around and make it a few phone calls about 10 AM, take a two hour lunch, call it quits at two 30. You know, I, I, I didn't really take it seriously. I golfed more than I did anything else. And, you know, I thought you could, uh, find success on the golf course. Like I was taught by the old guys. Well, you have to have connections to do that. So right. you can't just go golfing with your buddies. And, uh, anyway, I wasn't that good at it. Uh, got a great opportunity with uh, national city insurance group, which was owned by the bank at the time. Uh, a couple years into that, uh, the insurance group folded, but, uh, you know, of course the bank marched on and they eventually were bought by PNC. Yeah. And, uh, anyway, uh, I think at that point is when I finally, ventured out on my own and I had taken it seriously. And a couple of years later, uh, 2008, I moved back down to Columbus and uh, formed the LLC. And that is Buckeye Benefit Consulting. And it's been a great venture ever since. Yeah, man, that's, that's fantastic. And um, 
You know, I, I love your point about failure and it's a conversation that I have more often than not is that it's, I don't know, it's become such a dirty word. It, it really hasn't. It, there's been, I think there's been an effort to rebrand it, hopefully recently, at least in the realm of self-improvement books or self-help help books. But it's, it's, it, it is that it's a learning experience. And if you don't have the opportunity to fail, then you're not trying enough new things. And as long as you're learning and growing from your quote unquote failures, I mean, they are just stepping stones for you. And obviously that, that is something that you may not have necessarily internalized right away, but I think a part of you knew it because I mean, you just kept pushing forward and, you know, kept leveraging those failures and leveraging your experience to get to the point to where you are. Yeah. I think when I, what I learned the first time I launched and failed or failed to launch, if you will, was that you really have to be aware of the things you don't know. Yes. What didn't go right the first time. So the, the gig with National City Insurance Group gave me a great opportunity to work as an independent agent under someone else's umbrella with the stability that a base salary plus commission would bring. Yeah. Uh, having teammates, having a boss, having people to help you uh, to schedule your day. Uh, you know, to really learn how an insurance agent manages their time and all of their resources. And by the time that thing was shut down a couple years later, I, I had the tools that I needed to go out and be successful on my own. I had the rest of those tools. So it, it was absolutely imperative that I went out and didn't succeed the first time, right. then took the opportunity to come and learn with somebody else and then relaunch and see how it goes from there. And it's Look, it's not been without its growing pains. It's not like Buckeye Benefit Consulting was launched and it's been a raving success since day one. We've had our ups and downs with that as well. But all in all, it's been a very stable and, and uh, growing opportunity. Yeah. And, I, you know, I'll, I'll say this and I, I preface it by saying it with all the love in the world. You know, and I, I think I've heard you say it before as well. You know, insurance is enthralling, uh, especially for somebody who doesn't understand <laughs> it. Um, but I, 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 you know, I don't know if I need to say this, but full disclosure, you are my insurance agent, and I had never had one prior. And uh, this, I mean, this can go. You can you can take this lesson for any industry or anything that you're looking to, you know, purchase or or bring into your life. I mean. I didn't know what I what I didn't know what I needed. I didn't know what I, I didn't know when, when you and I met, and we we actually had a conversation about what it is I needed to uh, ensure or what policies I needed to have. Or you know, when I think about anybody else in our networking group, it's it's nice to know that there is somebody who is going to be in your corner as opposed to somebody who works for a faceless corporation. It's just it's. It's been great getting that lesson in adulthood, but it's also been great, you know, receiving that lesson in business as well, because I, I certainly have shaped my own business around that mentality that I, I want to be the person that the, that my client can rely on and, and call on at, I'm not going to say every hour of the day, but they, they have my direct line. And so, I mean, just the, the number of business lessons I've received from you and from Am Spirit, it's just, it's been imperative uh, to my personal growth. So that's, it's the way that I have seen you run Buckeye Benefit Consulting because not everybody is interested in insurance. I mean, it's just, it's been such a, a, a mind expanding and a learning experience for me, just hearing the way you talk about it and hearing the importance of having, you know, the proper coverage. 
Well, I mean, let me be clear about this too. Buckeye Benefit Consulting, my my newest venture, uh, the G-Force parking lot striping, none of these, neither of these businesses would be what they are without the staff. Right. You, know, the, right. you have to make the right hires. Yeah. If you're, if you're not an owner operator, for example, or even if you are and you need to learn to duplicate your efforts, you just can't get to the pinnacle without proper staffing. Yeah. And oh, by the way, I, I see so many fellow business owners that complain constantly. Oh, I just, I couldn't find anybody good. So I'm just doing it myself. Okay. You tried what one or two employees before right. you finally decided to throw in the towel and figure there's nobody that wants to work out there. Come on, man. Most people didn't marry their high school sweetheart. Let's face it. All right. You got to right. put in a little bit of effort. You got to give it some time. And then you find the people that actually fit with you and your company and your philosophies and you move on from there and you pay them well, overpay them if you have to, whatever you got to do to keep that, to keep the right staff. You know, you're not just looking for people, you're right. looking for the people to work with you. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I, you know, I, I, I don't have employees and I, I, I don't think I ever want to have employees, but you obviously do. And when it, I, I think when you, you know, as a business owner, as somebody who, I guess, I don't know, I've had this conversation before in that you, in essence, are responsible to a certain degree for the people who work for you's happiness. Now, that, you know, that generally, I think, would extend nine to five, perhaps, you know, a little bit outside that. I mean, how much do you take that into consideration? I mean, when when you are looking at hiring somebody, you're looking at your culture and you're getting an understanding of who you want to work with day in and day out, what goes into that decision? I mean, it, you can't just look at the resume and say, hey, this person will be great. You know, they've got, you know, years and years of sales experience, but if they don't fit within the way that you operate, then it's going to be a disaster. I, I don't know. What, what have your experiences been hiring people to make sure that they fit within the culture that you want to create? Well, look, it's been all over the board. Yeah. You can think that you've got some great people. I, I made a couple of real, I, you can be tough on yourself and say, I've made some bonehead mistakes or bonehead hires or whatever, but it, it's, that's not always the case. I took an individual who has, who, who had great success selling print advertising in the two thousands, for goodness yeah. sake. And we're talking about 2010, 2012 timeframe, somewhere around in there. A person who had who had for years and years won awards and made great money on straight commission <laughs> selling print advertising in a digital age. Right. Come on, man. Right. I took that individual and said, if you can sell that, there's no way you fail at something useful like insurance that everybody needs. <laughs> Almost yeah. nobody wants to do print advertising, and yet you make a mint <laughs> yeah. selling it. So she came on board and she was awful. <laughs> but she was awful because I didn't understand her and I didn't take the time to understand her before I hired her. So who really was terrible? That was me. So it really wasn't her in the end, right? She's a person who needed somebody to have a conversation with her at 630 every single morning and motivate her for the day. Right. I'm just not that kind of guy where I'm going to wake you up and say, hey, time to get moving for the day. Well, let's go get them. I'm just not that dude. I'm not going to check in with you three or four times throughout the day. I'm working on my own stuff as well, right? Yeah. So she needed more structure. And guess what? She eventually found 
happiness and success in the insurance world, just not with me. I was able to refer her to, uh, to a colleague of mine and he works for a company, which is a national brand and they have a training program and regular meetings and all of the things that somebody that craves more structure would need and desire to be successful. Yeah. She's done fantastic for them. So it's just like you said, not the right fit for us. Right. Uh, the way we operate, the way I specifically operate as a boss. On the other hand, Patty, as everybody knows from my office, she she does nothing but work autonomously. <laughs> she she actually makes more calls than uh, than I do within the agency to make sure that things are running correctly, and I've empowered her to do so. Yeah. So you've got to take people, the right people, find out what their strengths are, and then empower them, trust them to do the things they were hired to do. Absolutely. And, you and know, if they're not, that's a different conversation. For sure. And I, I want to point out the fact is I, I want to make sure it's not glossed over that you had this employee who was not a great fit. And instead of blaming her, instead of firing her, you helped her find another job. And there, there is a certain element of ego that you were able to stand aside from and really see that this person was not a great fit and you still, but you still want to see her succeed because not everybody would do that. And that feels uh, so important. That's where our ego is conflicted, right? The, yeah. the old Greek uh, self, yeah. everybody has a sense of self. And when people say you have an ego, <laughs> that is typically, a, it's a negative connotation, right? right? Of course. But that's not necessarily the case. Right. Um, yes, I was able to set my ego aside in that case and say, uh, she just wasn't the right fit for us because yeah. I don't operate the way she needs me to in order to be successful. But also in the same sense, it was because of my desire to fulfill my own <laughs> sense of self, my ego, that I referred her to my colleague because ultimately she was, she is a successful person, right? And that's yeah. partly because I recognized that. So pat yourself on the back and recognize that you actually did uh, have a hand in somebody's success in the end. Look, I pulled her out of a career where she was very successful, but they were changing the rules on it, making it harder right. for her to make a living. Right. But I still ultimately pulled her out of that career. I, I, I used the carrot of temptation, right? <laughs> and pulled her into my world and she fell flat on her face because I didn't take the time to get to know her for who she is. So I righted that wrong, if you will, and, yeah. uh, and sent her on her way. So it was really... As far as I'm concerned, it was partly my responsibility to make sure she didn't ultimately fail. <laughs> she had yeah. kids to look out for in a whole bit. Um, but yeah, she's just, uh, she's an incredibly motivated person. She just needs that structure. Absolutely. And so I'm, I'm curious, what did you, if you did anything different with Patty, and Patty's fantastic, she really is, uh, between Patty and the, the employee we're talking about here, I mean, did you make changes or did you just happen to find somebody who just who works better within your vision for your company? Or was it a kind of a combination of the two? Well, Patty was already on board and she was doing our property and casualty department, which uh, I had brought the other individual in to help out with health insurance. Uh, so Patty was already where she belonged in the first place. And she, I, I knew her from her past life uh, and my past life, if you will. When I was out doing voluntary benefits, I was calling on all state agencies and uh, she ran one particular all state agency in Columbus for several years, very successfully and almost by herself. So uh, she, uh, she was already 
in a role where she felt comfortable. All she did was move over to my world where it's independent and she just had to learn more carriers, but she's built for this stuff. She opens manuals and actually reads them. She's very old school that way. Uh, she'll get to the bottom of any answer. And, yeah. um, and she's also good at learning how to use resources, like actually finding out who in the world is good at answering certain types of questions and then hammering them. And and then of course, verifying it. She trusts, yeah. but verifies, which is exactly what you got to do in the insurance world. You have to verify everything. You can't just take somebody's word for it. And, uh, and she's just, she's so inquisitive and has this investigative streak that you have to have if you're going to be successful in this world. And people just don't understand. I think a lot of times what she does behind the scenes yeah. uh, for their benefit. And we just need, if we could find two or three more people like her, uh, we would have an empire. <laughs> she's just amazing. So, uh, yeah, so she was just in the right fit to begin with. Uh, and uh, she has the ability to work autonomously. That's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, you said earlier though, Trey, that, you know, we're, we're partly responsible for those employees happiness. Yeah. Now, yes. And I, I do want you to refute me because that sounds like you might be doing so, which is totally fine mm. because I, I've not been in that position before, but I just, I know that when I had for, for a number of years, when I was working for somebody else, I would let my nine to five dictate the rest of my day, my outlook. And, you know, I, I think for somebody who has a high degree of self-awareness and uh, self-autonomy, they can separate the two. And I just, I was not that person back in the day. So I, I let, you know, any stress and anxiety carry over into my personal life. So please, please let me know how your philosophy differs from that, from that standpoint. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, it, you're absolutely right. As employers, you are to a degree responsible for your employees well-being, um, and, and that's going to be related to their happiness. Right. So I, I often say that I'm not anti-union because, uh, I don't know, I'm not anti-union for your normal political reasons. I'm anti-union because I'm a firm believer that if as the employer, you're doing what you need to do. The employees don't need to unionize. Yeah. Now they're just wasting money every month on dues that they don't need. They're just supporting some goofball in an office someplace that doesn't need to be, you know, doesn't need your support because right. you have a great employer already. Unions don't do much. If you, if you're familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, yeah, absolutely. They don't do anything beyond the first two tiers. Yeah. You know, they, your pay and then your security. Yeah. Uh, just knowing that, Hey, we got a three-year contract. All right, great. Moving forward. Well, what happens when you have to go on strike? You know, right. it, it, so in other words, in the modern day, I should clarify, unions had unions had their time where they were extremely useful and very necessary. Right. But in modern day society, if the employers are doing what they're supposed to do. They shouldn't be necessary. Now, that said, yeah, I, I need to have a pay scale that is commensurate with the responsibilities. Uh, I need to have an environment that is free from harassment uh, of any kind for that matter right. for my employees uh, where they can treat one another professionally and I treat them professionally. That means not admonishing them in public. Yeah. <laughs> that means uh, making sure that praise is heaped on them wherever necessary and and uh, appropriate. Uh, and that means that protecting them from one another and from our customers, because believe it or not, the customer isn't always right. Sometimes the customer is a jerk yeah. and the customer needs to be put in their place. And you say, hey, look, you can call the office if you got something to 
if you got something negative to say, maybe you say it to me. I'm the owner. I, I got the broad shoulders. I got the paycheck. Yeah. You know, heap it onto me. If you got to cuss at somebody, <laughs> call me. All right. Don't do that to my employees. So yeah, you got to make sure that your employees are protected. Now, some employees, some people in general just aren't happy unless they're complaining about something. Right. There's that too. Right. right. So you're not necessarily responsible for every part of your employees' happiness and well-being. But yeah, to a degree, you you should be doing what any good employer would do. Yeah. I, yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, and I, I think it's important to, as you said in so few words, you know, stay current with the changing world, whether or not that is inflation and adjusting pay as needed or you know, obviously in the last two going on three years, we've seen the quote unquote great resignation. And there's a reason for that. (laughs) Some of it's probably pay. Yes. But also, you know, a level of fulfillment. And I, I'm a millennial. um, And I think millennials are kind of, they're probably not as relevant as Gen Zers are nowadays. But, uh, you know, I know when I was in my 20s, you know, there was this desire to have to, to do fulfilling work, to make a difference in the world. And I, I still have that to a certain degree. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of people my age do. But it's just it's I, I'm sure there are a lot of adjustments that need to be made as you grow and scale your business. And as you become further and further removed from the employee who was just hired, and I I don't know if that's a place that you want to get to or not, but I I, I feel like you are obviously very in touch or in tune with your employees. But I mean, as you see the world changing around us, are you noticing anything different with your employees? Are you noticing anything different with the way people are hired and retained? Uh, I'm noticing more on the parking lot striping side. Yeah. Yeah. Um, being in that world. Yeah. I see, I'd leave Patty up to the, <laughs> to the hiring on the right. Buckeye benefits side. It's not like I don't have a, uh, any kind of knowledge of what's going on. Uh, she really does a great job of keeping me posted on things, but ultimately because the people are going to report directly to her, she's responsible for the hiring. Right. Um, I have not had great success in trying to hire people for her. So, uh, I've kind of stepped aside from that. Yeah. I think it's important again to empower your people to find the people that are going to be working for them, um, and then it's up to them to find the right people, not only for the job but for their personalities, to make sure there's not too much of a conflict. On the parking lot striping side, those people all report directly to me, so I have a direct hand in hiring them. What that comes down to is, I'm very surprised. I had one guy in particular. Uh, Sometimes you just get the inexplicable, why on earth is this person not jumping all over this? Right. Uh, there's a guy that I was going to match whatever he was making in the concrete world. Uh, I was going to give him as many hours as I possibly could. And then, of course, those would increase. We were in our first year this year. Uh, I didn't realize how well we were going to do ultimately. Uh, he could have come along and, and made a heck of a lot more than what I thought he could. Yeah. But in the concrete world, their light days are still harder than our hardest days in the yeah. parking lot striping business. The hardest things we do are sign installation, which driving the signs into the ground can be a little bit of a challenge sometimes, right. uh, depending on the surface or the, the soil underneath. And uh, and parking block installation, only because they're a little bit heavy. It's usually a two-person operation. 
but still it's so much easier than anything you're going to do in the concrete world. So I, this guy even called me on a Saturday night to say, Hey, what time are we starting in the morning? We had a Sunday morning job to install four signs, fix another sign and, uh, and remove whatever was there. A really easy day, right? Yeah. He's calling me on Saturday night going, Hey buddy, what time are we starting? I said, oh, we're going to start at seven 30. He goes, awesome. I'll see you at seven 20. That's the last I've ever heard from this guy. Oh, geez. <laughs> I don't understand how you can, you can get a guy who is being beaten up in his current industry. I mean, physically just drained every single day, right. given an opportunity to come over and have an easier job, an easier life, have energy left at the end of the day uh, to spend with family, play with your dog, drink beer, whatever your thing is, yeah. uh, and just bail. Now, he could have been in a fatal car accident for all I know. Right. <laughs> I, right. I literally have not heard from this guy uh, since that day, but- uh, it's just a, it's kind of crazy. Now the, for the people that have worked out, look, I got to make concessions too, right? Right. Uh, I've, I've got a great foreman and what we did with the parking lot striping business was over two and a half times what we set out to do this year. That's amazing. Not possible with me by myself. Right. All right? <laughs> Not possible at all. It was only made possible because the right people came along at the right time and did outstanding work. Yeah. So I could not be more pleased with the way it all worked out. And you have to understand that not everybody is going to respond in the fashion that you hope they would. Yeah. You got to know when to look the other way uh, and just let somebody do their thing. Right. Like the machines never came back as clean as I wanted them to be. Right. So what do you do? Do you go and yell at your $30 an hour foreman and say, Hey, you stupid jerk. You're not doing things the way that I asked you to do. And I've asked you to do them really kindly, like six times now. And now right. I'm not going to be so nice. Right. Do you do that and maybe drive them away? Or do you just say, okay, well, I guess I'm going to clean the crap myself when I get it home. <laughs> you know, so I, yeah. so I chose the latter. Uh, I'm not going to alienate this guy or upset him because he, he doesn't have, he doesn't have the, the skills necessary, uh, to go out and, uh, I don't know. I'm not going to be combative with this guy. Right. You got to be able to pick your battles in the, in the employment world as well. Right. Some people would not be so patient. uh, I understand. Or some people might say, ah, you're just being a pushover. You got to tell this guy the way it is. Well, I've told him the way it is and he hasn't responded. Uh, So instead of taking negative action, I can just be a grown up and take care of it myself and realize that because of this guy being able to lead the team the way he does, we are dominating the marketplace in year one. Yeah. So imagine what we do in year two. Uh, yeah, it's not worth it. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I, I hear you on that. And I, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm curious uh, from a managing two businesses standpoint, I, I do you find yourself splitting your time 50, 50 between the two or does it v- drastically no. vary? No, no, no. In, in the wintertime, uh, we're pretty slow with the parking lot striping stuff. So it's mainly just me quoting and setting us up for the, uh, for the spring. Yeah. Uh, we do a handful of odd jobs throughout the winter, mostly that don't have to do with painting. That's more sign installation, parking blocks. Uh, so I get to focus more on the insurance business, but I'm more the guy that wants to bring the business in, bring in the opportunities, hand it over to Patty for quoting, uh, unless it has to do with health insurance. And even now over the last year, I can't say enough about what she's learned on the group health insurance side. Now she worked it before. It was just more of a matter of updating herself on, uh, on the the current uh, state of the market. Right. She's just incredible with everything we do. So I'm bringing in the opportunities, turning them over to her and she goes to town on them and 
you know, we follow up together, go out and meet with, uh, meet with prospective clients. And, uh, the wintertime is really when I can focus on the insurance stuff as well. Uh, but boy, this first year in the parking lot striping world, it was consuming me for 80, 90 hours a week. Yeah. There wasn't really much I could put into the insurance world other than again, uh, when I could networking to find some opportunities, some opportunities. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. In the COVID world, networking has just taken a beating as well. Yeah. So, uh, we're, we're just happy to tread water and grow a little bit at a time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, it's, you know, just to really drive home the point, it's so fantastic that you have that support system or that, I don't know if support system is the right way of saying it, but Patty to, to rely on, uh, to really not just, you know, carry the business while you're, you know, shifting your focus to the striping business, but to help to, to see, to empower her, as you put it, to grow and make the business thrive. That's that, that's, I think that's so incredibly important. And I mean, like I've said, I, I've met Patty a number of times and she's so phenomenal uh, at what she does. She's, she is a natural extension of you. And that's, that's, that's incredible. Oh, she's better than I am. Um, <laughs> she's an extension and an improvement. Um, uh, yeah. And, and I, I say I, that with all sincerity, man, it, it can sound like fluff or BS coming from some people or whatever. I hope it doesn't sound that way coming from me. I'm telling you that we, would not be where we are without her. Yeah. That's amazing. You know, I want to read something that you wrote that it doesn't fly in the face of what you just said. I think, I think you said what you just said in spite of this, you said you've enjoyed the challenge of forging your own path through life, which is awesome. And then finally, as I near 50 years of age, I can feel the tide turning in my favor just in time to be or to to face a pandemic that is trying to destroy more than it de- deserves the right to, which is an interesting interesting statement, um, especially in the context of this conversation, because you know you just talked about having the best year of your life, you know, from a business standpoint, especially in regard to the striking business, and I, I think. You know, I've, I've had a lot of these conversations and this this podcast started just before the pandemic. And I, I tend to talk with people who have had a growth mindset throughout the pandemic and they, they've taken the opportunity to, to step back and see how they can pivot or kind of gain an understanding of what they can do to take advantage of either working from home or their, their downtime or really use the opportunity to grow and propel themselves forward. And I I think, I don't know if what you had written there was kind of in jest, but I mean, what you had said previously over the last 45 minutes is that you have just, you've thrived throughout a time that has been very difficult for the world. And it's not, you know, I I don't want to make it sound like you, you did it while other people were suffering or in spite of other people's suffering, but you've seen opportunity there to continue to push forward and grow. So I, I guess what I'm driving at is we've all had adversity in the past two or three years. And even because of it or in spite of it, you have done things to really make yourself a better person. What has been your mentality there? What else am I going to do? You know, <laughs> roll over, question. just yeah. say, okay, COVID, you win. Okay, world, you got me. Yeah. You know, that's unfortunately um, the mindset of far too many people is let's bring down the people who have to the same level as the people who don't have. Yeah. Well, that doesn't create anything. It doesn't create wealth. It doesn't create jobs. It doesn't create anything on earth except for more poor people or more people that are struggling. And I say as a person who has struggled his entire 
life, not just adult life, but I mean, look, as a kid, man, we, we grew up in a house that you could walk around the entire home and not open a single door, including between the room I shared with my two sisters and our parents' room. There was no door there, right. which is not awesome as a right. kid. Right. Uh, the only door that had, or I'm sorry, the only room that had a door was the bathroom, thankfully. Uh, if you're going to pick one room in the house, sure. uh, that's the one. Uh, that was the only room in the entire house that had a door between it. You could just walk around the house in a, in a circle and hit every room. Uh, it was nothing to speak of. We didn't have any extra money. We didn't have the $10 for me to play bat or play baseball every year necessarily. Uh, but what we did have was cleanliness because as mom said, you know, just because we don't have any money doesn't mean we can't be clean. Uh, so we, we used the soap and, uh, and we were at least presentable every day. Uh, we at least had food yeah. on the table every day, which is more than we can say about a lot of people, right? A lot of people in that position, a lot of people that are raised that way, they get in the mindset that this is just the way it's going to be. My, I was doomed from the start. Well, I never bought into that. And I left home because there weren't a lot of opportunities where I grew up and I forged my own way, but not without the help of a lot of great people around me. Also, not without being sucked in by bad influences along the way sure, and taking several wrong turns. But again, you got to learn from those things. And you have to say, rather than tear down the people who have more than I do, whether they worked for it or it was handed to them or it's generational blue blooded America, whatever it might be, <laughs> regardless, instead of tearing them down, maybe I will aspire to be more like them or to be wealthier or whatever it might be that's going to make me happy in life. And if I have more money, then I get to choose what to do with it. I can go out and give it to charity, or I can use it for the greater good, or I can just be selfish and buy a speedboat, whatever. Right. But at least I get to make the decision of what to do with my money and my life. And I wasn't going to let you know a rough start be just the answer. This is what my life is now because it started out not so great. Uh, and as a, as a young adult, I made, as we've talked about, a ton of mistakes, uh, some worse than others. And, uh, and those just couldn't be the end answer either. So now, as I finally, as I wrote there, finally get to the, <laughs> to taste a little bit of success, uh, this pandemic comes along yeah. and I'll be damned if I'm going to sit around and allow a pandemic to just chip away at my life either. So as a musician, which I know we haven't talked about in this podcast, but, uh, but you know, I like to go out and play some live music here and there. And, uh, yeah. and I got used to being on stage. I've really enjoyed it. I've made a nice supplemental income through the years doing that. And of course the pandemic for a time took that away. Right. Well, instead of sitting around and letting my instruments collect dust and all that, <laughs> Uh, I decided to go ahead and invest in one little piece of equipment and a subscription. And I started doing voiceover work, yes. which is something I had toyed with the idea of doing for years, but never gotten around to. And the pandemic kind of gave me the opportunity or forced my hand into doing that if I want to continue to supplement my income. Uh, so I started doing the voiceover work. Yeah. And, uh, and that turned out, I liked that a lot better than a lot of the gigs that I was playing musically. <laughs> uh, I mean, good Lord. You, you think about you'd have to go out there and lug a whole bunch of equipment to make, I don't know, maybe a hundred to a couple hundred bucks for a night or something, which is not yeah. terrible money. Right. You got to lug a bunch of equipment, play for three or four hours. You're tired as can be. You're coming home at God knows what time. And you got to unload all this stuff from your vehicle too. Yeah. Whereas the voiceover work, I just 
trek down to my studio, flip on a few switches and go read the script that they need me to read, give them a few takes of it, give them any uh, corrections that they asked for. And usually your time spent versus the money made was a heck of a lot more lucrative. Yeah. And here we are. So you just got to find creative ways around whatever challenges life presents. Absolutely, man. I I really, really like what you said. And I'm, I'm going, I'm not going to be able to quote it exactly, but you know, why are you getting mad at people who have more than you do and try to bring them down or take away from them when you can propel yourself forward? You can do more to be like them. You know, one specific example, especially over the last year, uh, we've seen billionaires go to space. And, you know, I will be the first to admit that I, I've got a, a very strong love for the space industry. And I've loved seeing the privatization of it and seeing what SpaceX in particular has been doing. Now, there's the argument, you know, why isn't Elon Musk, you know, giving more to charity or doing more for the world? Or why isn't Jeff Bezos treating his employees better, you know, giving away billions and billions of dollars to feed the hungry? Well, for one thing, they are giving away a lot of money in charities. That doesn't always make the news, of course. But at the same time, you know, Elon Musk was damn near broke in the early, you know, 2000s when SpaceX was failing, as was Tesla. But he has continued to push forward. And so, I don't know, the, these CEOs are not are facing scrutiny that other CEOs and other tech billionaires are not facing. And as opposed to, you know, talking crap about Elon, who is doing a number of great things for the world, maybe you should think about what impact you want to make on the world and lifting yourself up in the way that now I know Elon came from a privileged background, but lifting yourself up in a way that he had to when he was facing multiple failing businesses. I don't disagree with that at all. Uh, first of all, we have to start asking ourselves, um, if we, if we start tearing down and getting our way, let's just say we get our way and all of these billionaires become millionaires or just right. hundred thousand heirs or whatever we think they deserve. Right. right. Or we, we all are on this, the same level. Well, I don't know what that's I mean, somebody, that money's got to go somewhere. Yeah. Do we trust the government to do the right thing with the money? <laughs> because I can promise you, just look up, I'm not going to get into it, but look up the difference between passing a bill in Congress and funding a bill in Congress, and you'll understand why we still have homeless and hungry yeah. people in America, where we shouldn't have homeless and hungry people. Right. There's no reason for it. But bills get passed and not funded every single month in Congress, except for the two and a half months they take off around the holidays, like right now. Right. Um, if you understand the difference between passing and funding a bill, you'll know why we still have suffering in America in places where we don't need to have suffering. It's unnecessary now. Yeah. That said, as a private citizen in your community, it is your responsibility to help those less fortunate, not to tear down those that have more. Yes. We need to be more useful to the people and the communities around us before we go out there and start worrying about what other people have. And oh, by the way, when I was out there making $12,000 a year as an 18 year old, nobody cared. Right. Right. Let's pretend for a second that when I'm 60, I make $400,000 a year. Okay. I'm not 60 yet. I'm not, I'm far from it. That's yeah. one of my aspirations. I'd love to make a half a million bucks a year. That's great because yeah. I want to be more useful to the community around me. But what if people just see the house that I live in, the tractor that I ride around <laughs> on in my property or whatever, the vehicle that I drive, nice truck, whatever. And they say, oh, that jerk should be given more to the society. 
what if people started telling you what you should do with your money? Right. Is it really their business? No. What you do with the money that you earned? Not at all. I just have a philosophy that we should all strive to be useful to the people in the communities around us. Yes. That doesn't mean that I'm going to force you to give to them or to donate your time or any of that. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to go out and buy a jet ski with the only $12,000 that you have in the world, go buy a jet ski, man. Yeah. If it puts a smile on your face, dude, go for it. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Eric, I, I, that's, that's a great way to bring this conversation to a close. Um, you know, like, like we started at the beginning, this was a unique conversation for me. So I am extremely appreciative of not only the last hour, but you know, all that you're doing right here in Columbus, because you are doing a lot. And, you know, there, there are well, everything that you're doing. I aspire to be able to, you know, follow in your footsteps, uh, especially in regard to the way you run your life and your business. So I'm very much appreciative of that. Um, you know, before I let you go, I do have a few closing questions that I like to ask. And the first of which is, and this one is oddly specific because hopefully I can be of service to you in this regard. You know, what resources are you looking for to continue your personal growth? You know, in case somebody here in Columbus is listening and they say, hey, I can help Eric or even somebody in, you know, Massachusetts. Um, what is it that you're looking for to continue growing? Well, look, for, for everybody in the world, I think I think we look, you'll find a lot of people that all of a sudden care about something like Parkinson's or diabetes or whatever. And why would that be? It's because they or somebody they love or care about their neighbor, whomever is diagnosed with something, right? Yeah. Uh, you could live 55 years and then all of a sudden you care about di diabetes awareness is because your little sister was diagnosed with diabetes or something. Right. Uh, or you've got a kid or whatever, you know, whatever that might be. Well, I happen to be a veteran and the things that are near and dear to my heart are the ways that I can help my fellow veterans out there. Uh, one such organization that helps on a grand scale around the entire world, you can find them in, in so many major airports around the world, is the USO, the United Service Organization. Now, most people, if they have any idea about the USO at all, they think Bob Hope, and that's not a bad answer at all. Uh, Bob Hope used to go around and do all kinds of concerts, and he went to uh, areas where we were in conflict and did shows for the troops and did all kinds of great things out there. Uh, so the United Service Organization, uh, USO.org, uh, they handle a lot of veteran concerns. They send care packages to our deployed members. They help care for the families that are left behind. Uh, they help veterans and current service members alike. And they just do a fantastic, uh, they, they do a fantastic job of not only that, but serving other veteran uh, nonprofits around the country and around the world. Yeah. Uh, things like uh, suicide awareness, uh, meals for the holidays, uh, you know, brides and, and all kinds of great, great things that they do. So I would love for people to go to uso.org and find the nearest location, contact them to see how you can help out, uh, whether it's a simple monetary donation or volunteering at a local concert event to give out stuff at the, at the booth or whatever it might be. And oh, by the way, when you do those kind of things, you get a free show along with it. That's great. I, I love that. Um, and my next question for you, I, I do my best to read as much as I can. And this has kind of become a, a, a cheat code for me as asking my guests, <laughs> what has been the most life-changing book that you've read either recently or in your life that just had a, such a profound impact in your life that it's just easy to recommend it to anybody? Well, I mean, growing up, <laughs> growing up blue collar or less, uh, the way that I did, it was, 
you know, sarcasm and bitterness is just a way of life and it's how you communicate. It's how you have fun at other yeah. people's expenses and your own, if you learn to be self-deprecating. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, how to win friends and influence people by Dale, Dale Carnegie, even though it was written in what the 1920s, I believe. Yeah. Uh, even though it was written a century ago, it's so relevant in the way yeah. that it helps you understand the basic principles of communication, you know, to become genuinely interested in other people and, and their ordeals. Uh, to keep your criticisms and complaints to yourself, which isn't as fun as it sounds. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, you know, it's always really a, a great time to poke fun at each other and everything, but sometimes people don't know you. Right. That, that's that's something I have to constantly remind myself. You know, say, hey, dumb, dumb. These people don't know you. Maybe don't rip on them right from the first second. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's one thing when you're great friends with people, right? Yeah. Uh, but, but also to heap praise on people wherever it's due. Yeah. And, you know, it, it really, uh, Dale Carnegie, the, the principles that he outlines in this book go along with so many other wonderful, uh, I guess, suggestions, whatever, on how to be a great leader. There are a lot of leadership books out there, but let's face it, you either are a leader or you're not, but right. nothing stands between you and the solid principles of leadership. There's a big difference between being in charge, you know, as the owner of a business, you are technically in charge of your company, right? but are you in charge or are you a leader? A person that's in charge is a boss, right? but a leader is somebody who understands the importance of praising in public, admonishing in private. They understand the importance of deflecting credit to their team around them yeah. and really protect that exact same team from any kind of blame or criticism that might come up, you know, to accept that upon yourself is, uh, is, is really paramount. Yeah. That, that is so well said. And I've, I've heard nothing but praise for that book. So I really appreciate you sharing that. And then last but not least, I like to leave the audience with a personal call to action that you either live your life by, or that you share with your, your coworkers, your clients, your employees, your family, your friends, just one that you know others will take value from. Well, that's something that, uh, again, is easier said than done. And I think that if you're going to have a personal call to action, it probably should be along those lines where it's not just something that comes naturally. What, right. That's not an action, <laughs> just getting up and, and breathing. Uh, and we touched on this a little bit earlier. I, I just feel that you should be useful to the people in your life, the community around you. Yes. you know, a lot of people are finding these days, especially that happiness is increasingly evasive. Uh, in the midst of a pandemic where there's so much isolation and negativity everywhere you turn, yeah. if you want to feel better about yourself, maybe find a way to help other people. Yeah. Uh, no matter what your personal situation, whether you're unemployed or working 80 hours a week, you know, you can try to identify a volunteer opportunity in your community that offers you the opportunity to help people in need. Yeah. Um, if you have access to this podcast, then chances are you're not the most needful person in your community. Right. So uh, you can set aside your problems for a little bit and go find a way to help others. And I'll tell you, happiness is not guaranteed in this life, but it really shouldn't stop you from being useful and helping other people. Agreed. Agreed. Eric, thank you so much for just for, for talking for, um, I mean, for, on a personal note, thank you for your leadership over the last, again, I don't remember when we met, but six, seven years. Um, it's been a while. It has been a while. And I, I very much appreciate everything that, uh, that you've done, not just for me personally, but for our group of 
colleagues, our group of friends, our our networking acquaintances, for even just the community at large. And I very much uh, appreciate it. And uh, you know, I obviously want to ask you if people would like to contact you if they'd like to learn more about everything that you've got going on for both business, music, uh, just anything in your life. What is the best way for people to find you? Um. You can find me on Facebook. I'm pretty easy to find. There's a handful of Eric Rhines in the world. Um, I think I'm Eric.Rhein35 or Eric.Rhein.35 on Facebook, something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Eric at BuckeyeBenefits.com. A great way to email me. And um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to partner up with people here in Ohio or around the world and see how we can all better ourselves a little bit. I hope Absolutely. there wasn't too much eye rolling opportunity with this whole podcast. <laughs> I really do appreciate you the uh, affording me the opportunity to come on and be vulnerable along with you. Absolutely, man. Yeah, I uh, this was this was a great conversation, and uh, you know, in the context of day to day life, you know, we don't always have the chance to just sit down for an hour and, and BS. And I, you know, it's it's great doing this with you, but it's also an important lesson for other people around you because you know so much of what our day-to-day interactions entail are just, you know, people taking sides and you feeling like they need to, you know, be true to their tribes, which I personally feel can be dangerous. And I, if we can have conversations with nuance and especially have ones at length, I think that is one of the best ways that we can move past some of this crap that we have going on. Yeah. Look, if people don't take anything else from this, I hope they, they just understand not every day is going to be awesome. Right. You know, not every day is going to be a success and, uh, and you're going to fail at things. Yeah. Just don't let that be the answer. Don't let it sum up who you are. Um, you know, move on, learn from it, do better tomorrow. Perfect, man. Thank you again for everything. And I look forward to seeing you again in 2022. Thanks, Trey. Once again, I want to thank Eric for joining me on the podcast and for helping me bring 2021 to a close with the podcast. It's always a pleasure having a conversation with Eric. I appreciate his leadership, not just in the business community, but for all of the work he does in Central Ohio. And going beyond that, I am so thankful to have had him as an inspiration so that I may be able to better design my own life and live the life I've always dreamt of. If you would like to learn more about Eric, you can find all of this episode's show notes at themosaiclifepodcast.com. And if you've found value in the podcast this year, I would be incredibly grateful if you would leave it a five-star review, either in Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. As I go through my year-end rituals, it's becoming amazingly apparent how much this podcast has meant to me. And I know I've said it before, and I'm sure I'll say it again, but the amount of influence this podcast has had on my life, I simply can't ignore it. It's my hope that there have been moments in which you've gained clarity through these conversations as well. And I hope to be able to continue doing so and serving you and serving the idea of living your best life and doing better every single day well into 2022. If there's anything I can change or do differently or a person with whom I can have a conversation, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can contact me through the website, themosaiclifepodcast.com. You can find me on Instagram at Trey Kaufman. And I hope you'll take the opportunity to let me know what I can do better. This past weekend, I started brainstorming a manifesto of sorts 
for the way I want to live my life in 2022. Right now it consists of about seven bullets and I hope to get to 10 by next week. And it is my goal to share that with you in the first episode of 2022. It's not a list of goals or accomplishments I want to pursue, but a way in which I want to approach life. And I think there's a strong distinction there and I'm looking forward to sharing that. So with all of that said, thank you so incredibly much for your support in 2021, for your support over the last two years, the last 126 episodes. It absolutely means the world to me. And I look forward to seeing you again in 2022. Take care, do better, and be well. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.